Hi, and welcome to another Tap Talks HR podcast. Today we are talking to Valina Gatova about imposter syndrome for leaders, and especially female leaders in the workplace, and how to overcome it. Valina is a psychologist, coach, and founder of NotYourTherapy.com, a mental health organization providing psychological help in the workplace. Hi, Valina. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Anthony. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for coming along. So, Valina, let's kick this off by understanding what we mean by imposter syndrome and what it actually is. It's mm, a good question because we sometimes think we, we know what it means. It's out there in popular culture, but we don't really realize how it impacts our daily lives. Um, simply put, imposter syndrome is, is a belief. It starts with this feeling that you're a fraud and you came to success by chance. So it's often accompanied by a deep concern that you kind of don't belong where you are. And I've seen it in many, many people around me at the workplace and amongst leaders. And it's really common for people who are really, really successful. And it's not something new, as I mentioned at the beginning. Um, it's been studied for more than 40 years. Um, it started with actually with two psychologists, two female psychologists in, in the US who studied the behaviors and mindsets of successful women. And they actually came up with this interesting definition. And it's very important for me to uh, read it out loud uh, because it involves a lot of intellectual uh, capability that we believe it's important. So it goes like this. Um, imposter syndrome is a feeling of phoniness in people who believe that they're not intelligent, capable, or creative, despite evidence of high achievement. Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting. So it's almost like this kind of um, lack of self-belief in, in an individual. But obviously, we're here talking about HR and organizations. So why do you think this could be a concern for leaders and companies and organizations? In general yeah uh, absolutely um, and even though there is a lot uh, been done in the direction of empowering women uh, to be self-confidence and also to have diversity at executive levels I can still feel that that's a problem for leaders and also can be a problem for the businesses who are losing on creativity ideas brainstorming and uh, all of the benefits that we have when we have female leaders uh, at, at the board level and I want to talk a little bit more about how it could be a challenge at the individual level, but also for the teams. Uh, looking at people that I've been working with and my personal experience, I can really see that imposter syndrome um, is, is affecting you in a way that you become a workaholic. You know, it really starts with this idea that you're not good enough from the inside, you, this lack of self-confidence, as you said. And what do we usually do to, to kind of catch up? Um, we try to push ourselves to work hard and hard to measure up. But this is just not, uh, it's not working out. It's usually a, a compensating mechanism for inside insecurities. And I've seen from my work with other leaders that there is a hidden mental model that in a way impacts your behavior. And it's, it's really simple. It goes like that. So hustling and working hard equals high achievement. It were, equals I'm worth it. So this, you can imagine this huge workload that we take up to measure up and the constant self-doubt may harm not only our self-esteem, but also our mental health, our personal life, and, and generally our ability to find satisfaction at, at work and in our private lives. And there are also clinical symptoms, which, which I see amongst people who suffer from imposter syndrome, like anxiety, depression, or frustration, because they can't measure up with the high goals that really they set for themselves. And also we mentioned the company and the team level because uh, imposter syndrome is really related to our achievements at work. 
uh, it can be a barrier for performance and innovation, especially for knowledge sharing and decision making. Um, you can imagine, uh, let's say you have a team of five, six people, and if they all feel like a fraud, what they will usually do, they wouldn't speak up. They will be afraid to share ideas. They may withhold information or opinions, which is sometimes a loss for the business, for the team. It takes away our creativity and ability to brainstorm and even debate with each other. So um, I do believe it's a, it's, it's a barrier for innovation and progress for companies as well. But for me, this topic is important, not from a professional point of view only, as I'm counseling people with the workplace, but also personally, uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, I do have uh, first-hand experience with imposter syndrome and I've really seen how it in impacted my executive career. Um, and it really goes, uh, goes back a few years ago uh, when I took uh, the CEO role of a new, uh, of a growing HR startup. That was after I spent, let's say, maybe around 10 years in HR concerning training and development. So consulting for, for this small company, which was growing very fast, uh, we went through a change, a leadership change. So one of the founders left the company and I was invited to join the leadership team for a whole year and to help with the culture, to help them really uh, step on their feet again. And it's really interesting, Anthony, after this, um, after my, my personal experience teaching others how to succeed in their first 90 days, I did approach this new job with the wrong mindset. Um, I believe that even though I didn't know HR culture coaching, I was focusing on the other things that I didn't know about the job. So I was focusing on everything else under operations. So as a chief operating officer, you can imagine I was responsible also for accounting, for HR finance, operational processes, OKRs and strategies, so many things that I didn't know. And instead of really leaning in onto my strengths, I was thinking about well, what I have to catch up with, all the new skills that I had to acquire, all the knowledge that I don't have. And I especially remember a strategy meeting we had with my, with my colleagues. We were the four of us, the leadership team in Dublin, and we got together for a few days in order to strategize and create our vision for the year and set some KPIs and goals. And I do believe uh, imposter syndrome really hit me at that point. I remember I was staying quiet most of the time throughout the three days, uh, I didn't contribute a lot. Instead of being there with my colleagues and trying to come up with ideas and, 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 and even provide, provide a, an external perspective because I'm, I, I, I had an overview of the industry, there was this inside voice in my head telling me, oh, what are you doing here? You don't have, you, you don't know the OKRs, you don't know the, the financials, so, I was focusing really on the lack of knowledge, not on the strengths that I can bring on the table. So it was really interesting. I stayed quiet at that meeting and this really impacted my first 90 days on the job, my first few months. Um, I, I did seek some help at that point, even though I was a coach myself, I did uh, hire an executive coach and really we started working through this, this perception that I had about knowledge and competence and also accessing my own resources. And I'm coming to the key insight from my story that I had a lot of other things going on in my life at that point. Um, as I mentioned to you, actually, before our call, I, that was the period where I also got married. So personally, I didn't have uh, a stable foundation. I just moved in uh, to Bulgaria, back from London. So um, I got a new flat, living in a new environment also really affects your day-to-day 
So if I look back at the situation, I see I had so many different pieces moving on in my life and I was really disconnected from myself. So it wasn't by surprise that starting a new job like that, which I haven't done before, my imposter belief immediately hit. And, and this is really one of the main insights that I took away from my story. And then I want to share with other female leaders and basically everyone that um, staying connected to ourselves and our, our uh, key strengths and humans, it's really important. I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic story. Thank you for being so open and honest, Berlina. I mean, that's great. I mean, a, a couple of things I've picked up on there is, um, firstly, uh, it's really interesting. I was reflecting when you talked about becoming a workaholic, and actually, it's interesting. Some of the people who I think are some of the most hardworking and capable people are actually some of the most insecure people mm. that I've met. And actually, that might be a case of imposter syndrome that I am observing there in in those people um because there's always that self-doubt i always try and see well i think they're amazing uh, and and secondly I, I like the fact that you pulled in an executive coach because actually i think sometimes when you do have doubts in the workplace i think it's so hard to actually verbalize them to other people and you don't want to take them home with you so actually having someone somewhere who is a confidant you can talk to be it a professional coach or be it someone that you can go to internally in an organization i think would really help i suppose my question is because people listening into these podcasts uh, are always thinking about okay great story great information but but what can we do so what what do you think like an individual can do if they were suspecting that maybe this is resonating with them and they have possibly a bit of imposter syndrome themselves what do you recommend to them yeah, absolutely. And from that story and also my experience with clients, I, I, I took out a few, a few tips. I call them remedies that people can do individually to take care of themselves. But also I picked up on some cultural elements that people can, and HR leaders can improve within the organization, uh, that create the right environment to avoid, uh, the feeling of, uh, being an imposter. So I want to talk a little bit about both and, and hopefully, uh, everyone will try to find something useful for them personally, but also to bring back uh, to, to work tomorrow. And the first one, as I mentioned a little bit, is also um, leaning on to your strengths and your core value as a human being. Um, when we speak about competence, we usually think about intelligence. And that's why I wrote the definition in the beginning. It's all about intellectual capability. And one of the first remedies is about going beyond that and looking at yourself as a human, as a friend, as a person, with all of your social, intellectual, emotional skills as well. And we rarely, we, we already started talking about them, but we didn't talk about those uh, 30, 40 years ago. And this is what really helped me in my role after working with the executive coach to quickly catch up, leaning into my strengths that I now use every day in my business, like uh, curiosity or empathy, ability to build relationships and friends. Um, I can give you an example of what happened at the end. Um, six or nine months down the job uh, uh, in, in the company when we had another strategy meeting and I was already feeling, I was feeling back and connected with myself. Um, we had another strategy meeting and it was interesting because that time, at that time, I didn't stay quiet in the corner. I was leading it. And the difference was that I, I, I realized, until then, I realized that I was the only one on that leadership team who can facilitate discussions, who can lead big meetings who can actually include input and facilitate discussion with many many people 
and I didn't realize that I have those skills that I've been practicing all my life that I could easily bring to the table and they go much beyond the traditional perception of intelligence. So that's why I'm also suggesting to people to lean into their core strengths, which go beyond cognitive abilities. And there are many ways you can learn yours. For example, I'm a huge fan of uh, Gallup's leadership, leadership Strengths Finder. There is also a via character study by Martin, Martin Seligman. It's very interesting. And there is another simple exercise. If you don't like surveys, <laughs> I suggest it to people who are not fans of psychometrics. Uh, there is simple practice you can do with the people that you trust the most. Go ahead and ask them how you contribute to their lives. And don't, don't ask for specific, don't ask only for behaviors or generalizations like you're a good friend or you're a good professional or I can trust you. I encourage people to ask for specific situations, for stories of how people remember them. And it's really interesting. It's really empowering to see how people perceive it, why they see you're important in their life. I recommend keeping these stories in handy in moments of self-doubt. And it's also interesting to, to see these skills, these human skills that I talk about as really helpful and needed in the future. It's some of them are even more helpful than, um, you know, this traditional business skill set and, and technical skills. We, we always want for more of the jobs today. Um, I, I can see that there is a tendency to believe that in the future, change and uncertainty are inevitable. And it turns out skills like imagination, relationship building, humility are much more necessary than just being smart. And there are a lot of people talking about it. It's, it's, beyond, uh, it's beyond IQ. I can give example with um, relationship building. And we know from politics and the nonprofit sector that people respond well to crisis when they feel connected and when they can trust each other. And those relationships require time to develop. It just doesn't happen overnight. Uh, but we are too busy at work every day. We are running uh, in between meetings. We don't have time to practice those skills. And in my career, I've also witnessed a number of business crises from departing founders and a CEO change in the stagnant startup to a hostile takeover of British tech unicorn. And I worked with some of the executives uh, and, and the founders in those companies at the moment when they were experiencing financial crisis. And we talked about the resources that helped them at that moment. And it's interesting, it wasn't really data or business understanding or specific skill. You know, it was actually community, friends, family, their advisors that kept them going in the most difficult time. So um, understanding that and encouraging female executives to really hone on those skills of developing alliances, friendships, uh, relationships at the workplace could be really powerful in a future where we don't know what's coming. Um, and this, this naturally actually leads me to my second remedy, which is about changing our beliefs um, when it comes to competence. You know, we, we have embraced a certain understanding of what it is to succeed at the workplace and what competence generally means. Um, it's usually related to, to, what, to the qualities of incumbent leaders, usually men in their 40s, 50s, confident, intelligent, experienced. <laughs> Sorry, this maybe relates to you as well, but it's important yeah, to mention. I'm staying quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, we, we all know, uh, we all know the, the image that comes out yeah, when, when we talk about this. But recent research actually shows that warmth and trustworthiness, for example, are even more important than looking smart. I'm not, I'm not saying that those people are not smart and not saying that men are not smart, but that's not always what really helps us to believe and, and to trust somebody else. 
And coming to the topic of trust, this is uh, also what psychologist Amy Cuddy talks about. She says that people usually answer two questions when they first meet you. The first is, can I trust this person? And the other, word, the other one is, can I respect this person? In psychology, we refer to those factors as warmth and competence. So ideally, we want to have both. Yeah, so we want to be both competent and trustworthy. However, I, I don't know why, but in business, we've come to believe that competence and being smart is even more important. And, and I always argue that that's just a story that we have created. That's a social construct based on uh, popular examples from the past 50 years, uh, history, stories we tell each other uh, since we were little. But in fact, uh, research shows that warmth is even more important. And your smarts and capability are actually evaluated once people start to trust you and to feel safe with you. So I've seen this as well in practice, even when I was working for um, a big four consultancy, I could easily see sometimes how the competence of the strategy consultants with their super smart looks, um, it was sometimes perceived as intimidating by some of the clients, which eventually led to um, worse deals. So these, these stories are really powerful because we, we don't talk about them quite openly. And I believe what it takes to succeed in the future is changing. So we might also start to change our uh, perception of competence, uh, hopefully uh, removing some of the barriers for the imposters who believe they are not. And I really want to inspire other female leaders to start believing that they have what it takes, even though they don't feel that they belong sometimes to the strategy meeting like I did a few years ago. And I'm, I'm actually going to the remedy number three, which is generally about not, not just feeling confidence, about your self-esteem at your core. And I want to give a practical example as a, an exercise that everybody can do with their friends or trusted colleagues. It's a simple uh, practice I call the self-praise exercise, and I often do it in female leadership groups. It goes like that. If you imagine, um, if you imagine 12 people together in a group, uh, I ask each one of them to stand up and to talk about their co uh, their uh, strengths and the things they're mostly proud about and what they like about themselves. This is something that it's not easy for everybody, but it's also really powerful and uh, it really shifts their perspective and their feeling of self worth. Mm. This is really interesting. I'm sitting here taking lots of notes and uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting when you were talking about um, can you trust this person, respect this person, it's very much around, I, I think there's a shift towards where it used to be very much charismatic leadership and that's why we looked for those more authentic and ethical leadership that, that I think people actually really want in their teams going mm -hmm. forward, which is much more about that that trust, that feeling of understanding and warmth and everything. That, that's that's really interesting. And thank you so much for those three personal remedies. Uh, time is getting on. And I, I, I always say on my podcast should be longer, but we have to draw a line somewhere. But mm -hmm. I, I'm interested to know, because you talked about personal remedies and then we talked about team kind of remedies. And this is probably where the HR people listening to this podcast could probably make most impact around them in their businesses and their cultures. So what do you think that the, the remedies that, that, that HR leaders or teams can do to help out with trying to deal with this imposter syndrome scenario? Yeah, well, if I have to, if I have to share a message which, uh, which is helpful, it could be helpful immediately from tomorrow, that's about psychological safety and 
creating vulnerability, adopting vulnerability as a part of the culture. Um, and very simply talking, psychological safety, it's nothing abstract. It's really about creating an environment where people feel safe to speak of their work and ideas. It's so simple. And there are many, many things that HR leaders and uh, team leads themselves, they can do to encourage this environment of uh, vulnerability and speaking up without shame and without fear. Um, a few little things that come to mind immediately are uh, behaviors like um, sharing, sharing stories of failure, even leaders sharing not only successes, but talking about the mistakes that they do but also apologizing, um, sharing their personal personal lessons learned. Uh, there is a very interesting team intimacy exercise that I sometimes encourage the groups to do. It's about sharing some personal stories and uh, some background, not about what you do over the weekend. It's about uh, where you're coming from, uh, where did you grow up? What did you like uh, to do as a child? What's your favorite sports? It goes a little bit beyond the traditional uh, small talk, and it really helps people to connect on a human level. Going back to my main point about being seen as a human more than your job title, which really, really creates this culture of trust and psychological safety and empower people to be more direct with each other, especially when there is an argument or crisis. So that's that. And of course, um, peer groups, mentorship, psychological support at the workplace is becoming very popular. So anything we can do to create those type of conversations, straightforward and open, will always help to create a safe environment and also support imposters in the, syndrome, in, in, in the workplace, not only female leaders, but everybody who might struggle with that. Cool. That's fantastic. And um is there anything else that you think um, HR leaders might, just a tidbit of, 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 of one of your thoughts and thinking, so these HR professionals, when they, they're thinking about this uh, imposter syndrome, they might even be thinking they can see it in one or two others or even themselves around them. What, what, what else, what would your, your last thoughts be to these the, the listeners about um, what they can do? Is there any kind of bit of advice from your own experience? Um, actually, we can start doing it immediately. It's about role modeling and changing the language right away. And that's about sharing, uh, telling that you didn't do something or that's the, your first time doing something. Or it's also about um, asking for help. And it's also about encouraging people to challenge each other uh, in a candid way. And providing mentorship, especially for HR leaders and for female leaders, can be very powerful so they can have a reality check of their, where they really stand. I think that's quite powerful and we, we do forget sometimes how important it is to have an external perspective when you're day-to-day -day in the business. And um, yeah, any, anything that can help a conversation, a genuine conversation in the workplace where people can be seen as humans, not only as professionals, will always be helpful in that direction. Which are some fantastic final words. Thank you, Belina. And I've written so many notes here, sitting here, and uh, I think there's some great, interesting things here for something that is a, a real serious issue for people who are trying to better themselves inside of work and, and things from around challenging the culture, uh, focusing on people's strengths, that psychological safety in work, and, and then role modeling you just mentioned there. I think there's some great stuff here that we can actually do to build a more healthy 
culture inside of our organization. So, Valina, thank you ever so much for joining us today on the Tap Talks HR podcast. I really enjoyed um, spending this time with you. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks. And thanks, of course, everyone for listening. If you want to find out more about this topic, do please get in touch with us at our website, tapsolutions.com, or myself or Belina on LinkedIn or on social media. We're always interested to hearing from you. And that's it for now. Until next time. So thank you for listening. <laughs>